Well, good morning, Peachtree. It's so great to have Stephen Newby back with us as our artist in residence. It's been a challenging year to be able to accomplish some of our goals, but we're so glad that he's now been able to travel and be with us and help us to, to lead in worship and to be a part of the larger connection that is God's family. I hope that you all are doing well. I hope you all have gasoline in your cars and that you were able to survive a little bit of the chaos uh, that has been this particular week. Listen, we are in the midst of a series of messages where we've been talking about how the holiness of God can come down into everyday life. We call it everyday holy. And we've been talking about different dimensions of the sacredness of our lives. So we've been talking about sacred people and sacred spaces and sacred rhythm and sacred reflection. Last week, we talked about sacred wisdom. And this week, we're talking about sacred art. And you might be thinking to yourself immediately, oh, I'm not an artist. I can go ahead and turn this off. I'm not an artist. I don't even like art. I'm going to tune out on this one. Well, I want you to just kind of hang in there for a little bit because I believe that this message, whether you conceive of yourself as an artist or not, I think this is really going to apply to all of us. I want to share a scripture with you. It's a poem written by an artist by the name of King David. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, I will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing, one thing I ask of the Lord and this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. In that prayer, King David is on the verge of war. And one of the things that's apparent to all of us is when your life is on the line and when you feel like that you are about to be attacked, the last thing on your mind is decorating something or making something. But yet, even though David's on the verge of war, he asks of one thing. This is what he says in verse four. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. How rare is it for a warrior to be thinking of the beauty of the Lord? Well, in 1939, when Nazi Germany invaded Poland, you can imagine the chaos that was in Europe and what was happening at that moment in time, especially if you were a young man, a young student who was going to university. You knew many people who had been drafted and who were going to be shipped off to fight in the war. And so at Oxford University, there was a professor who was tapped on the shoulder to give the opening convocation to the new students to a university in a country and a continent and a world that was on the precipice of war. This is the person that they asked to speak. And his name was Clive Staples Lewis. And he gave an amazing address that was called Learning in Wartime, in which he said this. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. 
Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. If humanity had postponed the search for knowledge and beauty until they were secure, the search would have never begun. C.S. Lewis knew something really important. It was the same thing that King David knew that was absolutely important. And that was that you not only have to know what you're fighting against, you have to know what you are fighting for. What were they fighting for? What kind of life? St. Augustine famously talked about three things that are the qualities of God, that God alone is the good and the true and the beautiful. And in our churches, we talk a lot about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the tenderness of God, the kindness of God, the love of God. In our churches, you hear from me and in all of our congregations, you hear us talk about the truth of God, how God is reliable, how God is just. How often do we talk about the beauty of the Lord? How often do we talk about the captivating nature of the one who is our God? Let me put this question a different way. When was the last time when you closed your eyes and you bowed your head to pray that you were overwhelmed by a sense of the beauty and the magnificence of Almighty God? Today, I want us to help to recapture what David was praying for, what Lewis was arguing for, the beauty of the Lord, and how that shapes the artistry that is our lives. I want to talk about three dimensions of that, that how the beauty of the Lord does these three things. It means life is more than usefulness, it is more than flawlessness, and it is more than tastefulness. First, let's talk about how beauty means life is more than just about usefulness. Great Christian theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton was commenting about how we are the kind of people that look back on our history and it's amazing how little we know about our ancestry, about how much when you look at our ancient kind of forebearers when they were hunting and they were gathering. There's just not a lot of evidence that we have about the way that they lived and the simplicity that it was. We know the basics of how they ate, how they had shelter, and we know one other thing about them, that no matter how primitive, how backwards you might think that we were early on, you know what we were from the very beginning? We were artists. Look at this of what they discovered on the walls of a cave of some ancient artwork that was done by our ancient ancestors. And so G.K. Chesterton writes this. The one thing we really do know about the caveman is that he was an artist. He left behind his drawings on the wall of the cave where they are still available for viewing. The creature who made these drawings was truly different from all other creatures because he was a creator as well as a creature, art is the signature of man. You and I believe in a maker, and we believe that God, the great creator, has created each and every one of us. I'll be really straight with you in this. You can survive without art, but you can't live without art. 
couple of years ago, I got to meet uh, a scholar and an artist through uh, one of my alma maters, Fuller Theological Seminary. His name is Mako Fujimura. He is an amazing Japanese artist, and um, he's been through a lot. His grandfather had to inspect the city of Hiroshima after the bomb. He and his family had to retreat and flee downtown Manhattan where they lived during 9-11. I want to introduce you to uh, some of his art, just to give you an idea as a devout Christian what he has done. This first painting here is called Walking on Water, and the second portrayal here is of the story of the prodigal son. And this third painting is called The Tree of Grace with allusions to the tree of life. One of the things that makes him remarkable is that he's not only able to make beautiful, compelling art from the life of faith. And his, his recent book is called Art and Faith, if you want to take a look at it. But one of the things he's also able to do is he's also able to describe his art and to see the world through his lens as an artist. And one of the things that he critiques the church about is that he says that we have kind of a utilitarian ethic with regards to the faith. He calls it plumbing theology, that we reduce Jesus as someone who's repairing our lives and our lives of sin and not seeing him as restoring our lives that we fail to see God as a maker, and we really see God only as a fixer, that God is there to help to fix our lives, but we don't see him really as the great creator out of which we can create. And so I love how Mako puts it. He puts it like this. He says, the essential question is not whether we are religious, but whether we are making something. When we stop making, we become enslaved to market culture as mere consumers. Here's why I said this sermon is important for all of us. If you're the kind of person who only sees your life as not a maker, then we're not fully living into our calling as the people of the image of God. God is a maker and he's called us to be co-creators. And so whatever it is that you are passionate about, that you are engaged in, to be able to do that with full imagination and holiness and commitment. You know, I have a family of artists and they're all really good at all these things. And I used to joke that I'm the only one in the family that uh, is not an artist, but really that flippancy is not true. I'm an artist when it comes to revealing the delight of the gospel. And I care not only that I'm just imparting knowledge to you, but that I do so with great care, with great artistry, and with great passion. So whatever it is that you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with the artful nature of our loving God. There's a church in Chicago that gets this. There's a group of people every month in that church in Chicago. They're not carrying hammers and nails to build a house, although that's a good thing. They're carrying brushes and nail polish and shampoo and conditioner and they go to nursing care facilities, they go to facilities that help with those who have mental challenges, they go to homeless shelters, and every month they provide a free spa on site. And in doing so, they've heard things where, with tears in their eyes, people have said, I had forgotten that I was beautiful. 
you know, some people would say that a mission like that is unnecessary. It's only unnecessary in the same way that friendship is unnecessary. Yes, you can survive without it, but you can't live without it. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Life is not just about what we can accomplish, utility, usefulness. There is more. The second thing that beauty of the Lord reminds us of is that life is more than flawlessness. Life is about more than perfection. You know, we live in the Instagram society, social media, where we take pictures with cameras that have filters on them. We make sure that the picture is just right. People who are portrayed in advertisements, they're they're almost not real people anymore because through Photoshopping, they shape and reshape all of the imperfections and brush them away. We're obsessed with perfection. We strive for flawlessness. 500 years ago, there is a true story of a Japanese tea master along with a warlord. And the tea master was providing tea for this powerful warlord. One of the servants of the warlord was carrying the, the tea pottery, invaluable as, as it was, for the tea master to be able to make it. And he tripped and he fell and it broke into five pieces. And the warlord raised his hand in order to have that servant condemned and killed. But the tea master stood forward and said that he would take the responsibility, the blame, the fall, the brokenness for the servant. With that, putting his reputation, his wealth, his prestige on the line. He took the five different pieces of the broken pottery and eventually he came back to that warlord and he had taken gold inlay to seam that pot back into something that was whole. This is the ancient practice of kintsugi and it looks something like this. Taking broken fragments, making them whole again restoring them in such a way that they are actually more valuable than what they were like in the first place. We're taken past repair theology into restoration, where the brokenness is not something that's just wiped away in the same way that Jesus showed in his resurrected body the scars that had been healed and renewed and the new life and the new creation that he had been given. You know, it's interesting. The Bible uses a lot of different words for the idea of newness. The Bible uses two different Greek words in the New Testament. They are kainos and neos. Neos is where we get the word neon. It is a new in the same way that Apple produces a new iPhone every year. Kynos is different from that. It is a new newness. And so when the Bible talks about things like when it says things like for in Christ we are a new creation, it's not that we're a neon creation. We're not just a little bit new. We're not just flashy or new. We're not just a little bit better. 
We are kainos. We are restored. And at the end of the Bible, when it, when it talks about how at the end uh, that Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. That's kainos, a renewed newness of a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. This is what God's word tells each and every one of us about, you know, the gift of, of what is provided to all of us, a real newness in the same way that a caterpillar gets to be new as a butterfly. And so there is a beauty that does that kind of newness in your life and in mine. It is a beauty that redeems and restores. You know, some things are beautiful because they loved. And some things are loved because they are beautiful. And we are the type of creatures who are beautiful because we are loved. It's not about perfection. Our flaws become in the redemption a part of the grace. And so beauty teaches us these three things, that life is more than usefulness, it's more than flawlessness, and finally, that it's about more than just tastefulness. I don't know about you, but for me, art is kind of like, well, there's good art and there's bad art. And um, there's art that I like and there's art that I I don't like. Uh, Just this last week um, with uh, one of our daughters, Ashby, we we went to the zoo for the first time. We had not been to zoo Atlanta. We were walking through the gift shop on the way out and I saw some art up on the wall for sale. And uh, I want to show you a picture of that art. And um, I did not think that this art was all that impressive. I was like, which you know, which second grader produced this kind of art. And the reality was, is that when I read a little more, I discovered how this art came about, that this art happened with an elephant like this, that this was an elephant taking the trunk, a paintbrush, and painting just like this next image. And then all of a sudden, my perception of that art vastly changed. One of the fun things that they had at the zoo was they even had goblets that were made by the elephants. And so one of the things that I was discovering in that moment was the incredible gift of how we understand what beauty really is and does. I mean, this is an incredible thing to think about We tend to think of, you've probably heard the old phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But in reality, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that beauty isn't just subjective. Beauty is in the eye of the great beholder. What do I mean by that? I mean that there is a, um, there's a, a process at work where N.T. Wright describes it this way. He talks about how genuine sacred art is like going off, like the spies in the Old Testament, going off into the promised land and bringing back the fruit of the promised land and saying, here, this is what we get to be a part of. Going out and kind of picking from the new creation. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And so anytime we bring a little bit of that beauty into our everyday world, 
It's a true and genuine beauty. It's no surprise to many of you that um, you've heard me tell story after story after golfing. And I remember seeing an article in Golf Digest about a man by the name of Valentino Dixon. Doesn't sound like a golf story because he was arrested in 1991 having never set foot on a golf course. He was falsely accused and falsely arrested and falsely imprisoned for a murder that he did not commit. And yet he had been sentenced to um, nearly four decades for something that he didn't do. Now imagine that he's in prison for all these many years. He remembers when he was a child that he loved the gift of art and now he had a little extra time to practice it. The warden and he struck up a friendship and the warden was an avid golfer and showed him a picture of Augusta National Golf Club and asked him if he would paint something. He loved the way that he painted or draw something. Would he make a piece of art for him? Let me show you a picture of what he created. And then here's another picture of a painting that actually Michelle Obama bought for Barack Obama as a present. Well, these paintings were so captivating to some that it created that article and people at Georgetown Law School got involved and they started digging back into his case. And lo and behold, they came to discover that he truly was innocent and they were able in 2018 after 27 years of being punished for a crime he didn't commit, he was set free. Here he is at Augusta National with the primary lawyer who helped him out with that case. That's why he's pointing at him. And then here is Valentina Dixon in the clubhouse sharing some of his art with none other than Jack Nicholas. You know, it's not just the story. It's the reality behind the story that makes that art beautiful. That it's like those spies going off and getting a little bit of the mercy, the love, the justice, the goodness of God and bringing it into our moment in time and saying there is a promised land that is available for us. And so I think if we, like David, even in the midst of the conflict of our lives, long for the beauty of the Lord, we will be able to get beyond how we are typically stuck in these three ways of usefulness, of flawlessness, and of tastefulness. Art is not just whether you like it or not. It's whether or not it brings God's future of new creation into the now. Here's a true story of two artists that I want to close with. Famous French artists by the name of Renoir and Matisse. Renoir was about 25 years older on the right than Matisse. And the two of them, famous artists that they were, had an endearing friendship. Let me remind you of some of their art. Here is a famous painting by Renoir about a boat scene. And then here is the famous Icarus painting by Matisse. Well, for the last 20 years of his life, Renoir suffered with a debilitating arthritis that made his working and his living so painful. And there was one day when Matisse was in the studio with Renoir 
and he could see the tears streaming down Renoir's face as he held the paintbrush and as he was working and yet it was inflicting so much pain and he went over to his friend and he put his hands on him and he said, why must you do this? You have done enough. You have accomplished enough. You have created enough. You can just rest now. And Renoir said these famous words. He said, the pain passes, but the beauty remains. Even in wartime, even in pain, there is one thing that we seek, that God is our maker and that he has woven beauty into this universe and that there is a beauty beyond even what we know now of the new creation that is coming, fully restored, fully given to us. The church used to be more involved in art and somewhere along the way, we bought the consumeristic mindset of creating churches out of warehouses and neglecting the sacredness of what it means to have a maker God. Don't allow your life of faith to get reduced to mere utility or striving for perfection or that maybe beauty is just a matter of taste. Oh no, it is so much more. The beauty of the Lord is worth fighting for. And so let's pray. Thank you, God, for your holiness that is available even in all of our expressions of music and light and art and craft and all of our professions, that we can do anything as an artist. Thank you that you have woven this into not only the fabric of creation, but in each and every one of us. As you promised in your word that everything is beautiful in its time. Help us, like David, to not only be effective leaders and people who stand firm against the tide of violence and revenge in this world, but help us, God, to also be the poet, to also know what we're fighting, not just against, but for. Thank you that you're not only good and true, but that you're also beautiful. Help us to live for more than just mere survival. Help us to know that, yes, we want the plumbing in our lives to work, but we also, we strive for more, that you're not just a fixer. And so help us like that Chicago church to not only be armed with hammers and nails to build homes, but also with combs and brushes and scissors and polish to be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord that is available in each and every person. Forgive us for warping that beauty into some vague notion of perfection that not only not exists, but also keeps us at arm's length from one another and from you. Thank you for reminding us that even in our brokenness, we can become more valuable and that you are making all things new. Most of all, God, may your understanding of us and our grasp of you take us into the promised land that like the spies, we can grab the fruit and discover a life where the pain passes, but the beauty always remains. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.